It is the ignition of many a mystery thriller. A spouse, sibling, child, friend or an object disappears and a plot is launched to find them. What do they say? Well, they both say they've never seen her. But that's not true. She was sitting where you are. But can you describe her? Well, it's a bit difficult. You see, she was sort of middle-aged and ordinary. Well, what was she wearing? Tweed, oatmeal flecked with brown, a three-quarter coat with patch pockets, a scarf, felt hat, brown shoes, a tassel shirt and, and a small blue handkerchief in her breast pocket. I can't remember any more. You couldn't have been paying attention. Now listen, you both went along to tea. Yes. Well, surely you met somebody. I suppose we did, but... Wait a moment, let me think. Oh, yes, there was an Englishman who passed the sugar. Right, Shawan. Now let's go along and dig him out. Down through the decades, from Alfred Hitchcock's The Lady Vanishes, John Huston's The Maltese Falcon, and Fred Cinnamon's The Search, to Peter Weir's Picnic at Hanging Rock, Alan Parker's Angel Heart, and Andres Weinseft's Loveless, there have been plenty of variations on the well-worn plotline. But back at the 13th Cannes Film Festival on May the 15th, 1960, when Michelangelo Antonioni premiered La Ventura, he so reimagined the entire disappearance and search premise that you can all but divide the subgenre into two phases, before La Ventura and after. But for that first screening, Antonioni's departures were so radical that they were greeted with boos, whistles and walkouts. Here to explain what happened next is CEO of the Toronto International Film Festival, Piers Handling. A statement was released only a few hours after the screening, it was datelined 2 a.m. in the morning, and the signatories included some of the most famous names of the day, Roberto Rossellini and Francois Reichenbach, the producer Anatole Domont, who go on to produce René, Godard and Bresson, Nellie Kaplan, who was the assistant to Abel Gans, and the critics René Gilson, Robert Benayoun, André Labarthe and Georges Sadoul. And it read, conscious of the exceptional importance of Michelangelo's uh, L'Aventura and shocked by the display of hostility it has aroused, the undersigned critics and professionals expressed to the film's author their unqualified admiration. Confident that others who share their enthusiasm will follow suit, they call on them to declare their support. So, if you were to have any hope of appreciating Antonioni's adventure, you had better understand that he won't be delivering you to your, or indeed any destination, anytime soon. La Ventura starts with Anna, played by Lea Massari, going on a cruise with a group of her wealthy acquaintances, including her lover Sandro, played by Gabrielle Frazzetti, and her good friend Claudia, played by Monica Vitti. The pleasure seekers stop off on an island to take some sun and ramble about. Anna disappears, and for a while, everyone goes looking for her. But quickly, the search party dwindles to two, with Sandro, almost as quickly, switching his carnal energies to Claudia. Initially resistant, Claudia eventually succumbs, by which stage, the search for Anna has been all but abandoned. Despite being awarded the jury prize at Cannes, the complaints about Laventura persisted, and when it opened in America a year later, the New York Times critic Bosley Crowther complained that it was like, quote, trying to follow a showing of a picture at which several reels have got lost. But since the reels had not been lost, many audiences felt Antonioni and his fellow screenwriters Elio Bartolini and Tonino Guerra had plotted a pointless story. But storytelling in film is a lot more than just plot. A film's plot unfolds less through dialogue as it does through the aggregate of movement, composition, lighting, lensing, editing and sound. Those disciplines are the means by which the director narrates the story. 
And it is through those disciplines that we see how Antonioni and his cinematographer, Aldo Scavarda, and editor, Araldo da Roma, reinvented film language. Had the Cannes audience been a little bit more alert, they would have seen the way Scavarda filled, or rather emptied the frame, and the way da Roma didn't cut away from those empty frames, that La Ventura wasn't a bad plot told badly, but rather an innovative plot told in an innovative way. Let us consider how Antonioni staged his dialogue scenes. Ma perché star qui a discutere, a parlare? Le parole, credi a me, Anna, servono sempre meno. Mi confondono. Standard staging would have the characters facing one another, with their faces visible to the camera. Not so with Antonioni. Frequently, he has the characters looking away from one another, so we can only see one of their faces. Why? To visually convey a lack of communication. Just as frequently, Antonioni will have the characters looking into a landscape with their back to us. Again, why? Because he wasn't satisfied with the actors showing us their emotion. Instead, he had the landscape, the sea, the waves, the rocks, hills, trees, buildings, balconies and windows do it. The impact of which was Antonioni's enigmatic plot was now supported by an innovative visual code. Which means that you have to work out the visual clues the film gives you. Consider, for instance, the way characters enter and exit the scenes. Ordinarily, an actor enters frame left or frame right. However, time and again in La Ventura, Antonioni has them emerge from within the frame, from behind objects that obscure our view. Doorways, beds, rocks on the island, or below deck on the yacht. Conversely, Antonioni then has the characters not exit the frame, but instead disappear from view while still in the frame. Why those techniques? Well, Anna didn't disappear from the film by walking out of it. Antonioni cut away from her and didn't go back. And yet she is still present because of the void her absence leaves in the plot. Laventura's narrative, its use of time and space, has influenced many filmmakers. Most obviously, Theo Angelopoulos, Abbas Kiarostami, Chantal Ackerman, Kelly Reichardt, Olivier Esaias and Wong Kar Wai. But Antonioni's impact can also be seen in some quite unexpected places. For instance, Antony Minghella treated space in a similar way, but for a very different reason, when in 1997 he adapted Michael Andachi's Booker Prize winning novel, The English Patient. Mrs Clifton, I'd like to present Count Olmerschi. Hello. Jeffrey gave me your monograph when I was reading up on the desert. Very impressive. Thank you. I wanted to meet the man who could write such a long paper with so few adjectives. <laughs> A thing is still a thing, no matter what you place in front of it. Big car, slow car, chauffeur-driven car. Broken car. Still a car. Not much use, though. Look carefully at the sequence where Almashi, played by Ray Fiennes, leads an expedition into the Gilfeld Kabir in the hope of finding the elusive Cave of the Swimmers. At one point, the party appeared to be lost, but suddenly a voice goes up, and from within the frame, the crew emerge from behind various rocks. They were there all along, but we just couldn't see them. Visualising Andachi's theme, Minghella framed the image to indicate the close connection the explorers feel for the earth, that they are part of it and live within it. That sensibility unites the international group, that is, until the outbreak of war, a war caused by a mindset that assumes one group of people have exclusive rights to land. I want all this marked on my body. We're the real countries, not 
the boundaries drawn on maps, the names of powerful men. Precisely two months before L'Aventura premiered in Cannes, Jean-Luc Godard's Breathless opened in Paris. A spearhead of the Nouvelle Vague, Breathless didn't so much abandon as puncture with jump cuts all manner of narrative traditions. No wonder the audience at Cannes was so hostile. They were so punch drunk with innovation, they could barely tell one end of the story from another. Those were heady days for cinema. What with Godard and his compatriots, François Truffaut, Alain René and Agnès Varda, not to mention fellow Europeans, Federico Fellini, Louis Bunuel and Ingmar Bergman, all seeking new narrative avenues. But it wasn't only happening in Europe. Barely a month after Antonioni's tumultuous evening down in the Croisette, an American film opened that also unceremoniously dispensed with its lead character. I'm very tired. And I'll have a long drive tomorrow, all the way back to Phoenix. Really? I stepped into a private trap back there and I'd like to go back and try to pull myself out of it. The manner of Marion's exit from Psycho is more than enough to give the plot even greater impetus. Her lover Sam and her sister Lila are highly motivated to discover her whereabouts. But in La Ventura, Claudia and Sandro don't have that motivation, and so they stop looking for Anna, which completely defies the traditional structure where the characters are meant to keep searching. All right, but I'm given the orders here. I'm given the orders. And you'll follow them, or we're splitting up right here and now. Well, sure, Ethan. Just one reason we're here, ain't it? That's to find Debbie and Lucy. If they're still alive. As Ethan Edwards continues his search, he only becomes ever more resolute. By contrast in Laventura, the more the time passes, the less concerned Claudia and Sandra become. To the point that they wind up utterly indifferent to Anna's fate. But once we understand that Antonioni is not interested in resolving the mystery of Anna's disappearance, the sooner we can focus on the other mystery. What ails Claudia and Sandro? What accounts for their puzzling behaviour? After scarcely enough time to consider the possibility that Anna may be dead, Antonioni has Claudia and Sandro go off in pursuit of something else, something they hope will compensate for their listlessness. In that way, Antonioni not only upends genre expectation, but transcends genre altogether, transporting L'Aventura out of the category of thriller and into the realm of philosophy. Which means that Anna's absence is emblematic of the emptiness Claudia and Sandro feel. But even before Antonioni has them verbalise any existential crisis, he constructs a spatial scheme that will visualise their malaise. Instead of composing images so Claudia or Sandro are the focus of our attention, Antonioni regularly divides the frame so a large part of it is inactive. With the visual emphasis on spatial inactivity, the inertia suddenly dominates the character. So much so that no matter what they are doing, the opposing emptiness threatens to consume them. Note then how often Antonioni places his characters in empty rooms or on balconies, or traps them in windows, doors and archways. That visual language reinforces or perhaps even leads the way for the dialogue to express the mysteries the characters can barely verbalise, let alone understand. That innovative technique was picked up, not so much by a single Hollywood director, as an American director of photography, Gordon Willis. Willis's modification of Antonioni's modernist framing was so singular that he practically became 
is cinematographer O'Toole. His eye for composition helped him create a visual vocabulary for films such as Alan J. Pakula's Clute, The Parallax View and All the President's Men, Francis Ford Coppola's Godfather trilogy, and no less than eight pictures for Woody Allen. Now that was brilliant to me, absolutely brilliant. The steel cube was yes. brilliant? It, to me, it was, it was very textural, you know what I mean? It was perfectly integrated and it had a, a, a marvelous kind of negative capability. The rest of the stuff downstairs was bullshit. With his unique visual scheme now in position, Antonioni then unfolded the drama at a very slow pace, letting the camera linger longer than audiences expected, especially when so little was happening within the frame. According to film historian and theorist Barry Sold, at the time the average shot length of a European film was about 9 seconds. Laventura ground that down to 17 seconds, which meant that gradually the frame became static with its subsequent dead time crawling into the story's every nook and cranny. Audiences now found themselves looking at a screen where they felt nothing was happening. Well, plenty of things were happening, just not what they expected or more accurately wanted. Cause and effect, clear motivation, the mystery explained. Instead, nothing in Laventura is explained. Rather, there are only suggestions. Which means we have to interpret what is going on. And when you're interpreting, things can get a little lost. The more you know who you are and what you want, the less you let things upset you. Yeah. I just don't know what I'm supposed to be. Yet, for all his visual and temporal stylization, Antonioni did not like to use music, arguing that its presence always signaled to the audience how they should feel. So instead, Antonioni preferred the natural sounds of the world, or rather using the natural sounds to relate how the characters might be feeling. Hence, we hear the wind, the waves, a passing train. Such existential uncertainty lies at the heart of Laventura. The search for Anna represents a search for the self and the need for a sense of identity. At a crucial moment in the film, Claudia and another of her wealthy friends, Patrizia, played by Esmeralda Rospoli, get ready to go out for the evening. Patrizia, who has dark brown hair, playfully dons a blonde wig and checks herself in the mirror. Claudia, who has blonde hair, joins her and dons another wig, this one brunette. From behind, and we must remember that framing Claudia from behind is one of Antonioni's preferred modernist compositions. Anyone would be forgiven for mistaking one woman for the other and more pertinently, Claudia for Anna. Once again, Antonioni's film appears to have been a source of inspiration for Antin Mangella, this time when he went to adapt Patricia Highsmith's novel, The Talented Mr. Ripley. Late one evening, Tom, played by Matt Damon, wanders through Dickie's bedroom and dances around in his clothes, checking himself in the mirror. May I be the only one to say I Really fell in love the day I first set eyes on you. May I? What are you doing? Oh, I was just amusing myself. Sorry. I wish you'd get out of my clothes. Do you have my shoes on too? You said I could pick out a jacket, so. Antonioni's career began in the 1940s when Mussolini still controlled the Italian industry with an iron fist. 
Consequently, Antonioni was unable to assert any sort of creative autonomy over his own work. However, even after Italy was liberated from fascism, Antonioni still struggled to realise his cinematic identity. By contrast, other filmmakers, Roberto Rossellini, Lucchini Visconti and Federico Fellini, had not only established themselves with the neorealist movement, they were already forging their own paths way beyond it. So, it was only with La Ventura that Antonioni finally found his unique themes, tone, tempo and technique. As it turned out, La Ventura was the first in a masterful series that included La Notte and the Clisse, otherwise known as the trilogy of modernity and its discontents, which together, or by themselves, carry such a sense of emptiness, of worry if not longing, they leave you in a very sombre mood altogether. Mm -hmm.